Born in 1592 in the Highlands of Scotland, and he is still alive. He is immortal. Constantly facing other immortals in combat to the death, the winner takes his enemy's head. And with it, his power. We know the truth about immortals. In the end, there can be only one. May it be Duncan MacLeod, the Highlander. And welcome in to Let's Watch Highlander. This is a special edition of Let's Watch Highlander. We have a special guest that we're interviewing. Um, and that is Roger Bellon, who was the composer for Highlander, the series for... Were you there for the entire series, Roger? Yep, for all six years. For all awesome. 119 shows, yes. Awesome. That's amazing. Uh, so we're going to be talking to him and uh, seeing how he came to the series. And uh, let's start out with, why don't you tell all of us what is a composer for a television series? How do you get that job? And um, then after that, how did you actually come to Highlander? Uh, you, well, a composer for film, TV, or any type of media is one that provides the music, most likely the background music, not necessarily songs. Um, that provide the really the emotional guidelines in bed of any particular show or movie um, without the music or different styles of music generally one would um, feel or appreciate the film in sort of many different ways so um, the composer's really only job is to provide an emotional conduit per what the director or producer wants with the music. And any scene can be scored in any number of ways, depending on which way you want to bend the scene, so to speak. So it's kind of important. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> it, 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 I think of the music, especially the bed music in a, in something like this, as sort of like seasoning your food where depending on how you season it can change a dish depending on how you do that music would could drastically change the the tone of a scene i would imagine that's um, actually a great example and it's exactly right um i mean literally you can uh, score any scene any way i mean let's say you had a scene in highlander where you know the the they were they were fighting and mm -hmm. you could score that from a sort of very dramatic orchestral way of doing it you can score it with rock and roll you could score it with jazz you could score it with country music you could score it with banjo music you could score it any way you wanted to but each one of those would 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 drive the scene in a, in a in in a specific emotional way that the audience would receive it that's really the only reason why music is there is because um let's call it the director for in TV, it's really the producer, but generally the director will have a vision and, and that vision, um, the emotional vision of the, of what the director wants really is what the music is. So you'll see a lot of, 
you know, like uh, directors working with the same composer all the time, uh, because that particular composer will always have sort of the emotional, um, the emotional outlet that this particular director wants. And so it was exactly the same way in Highlander, though it was a little more free than most things, just because of the nature of the series, which was wonderful all wonderful for all of us that were working on the series that that's great uh how different is scoring something that is going to be released as a film as opposed to doing an episodic television series where you might uh, you might have as many as two or three different things in production at once i would would say is there is there a large difference between the two or does it kind of fall in the same same kind of lanes um, it falls in the same emotional lanes and it falls in the same lanes as far as the tools you're using, but it's, it's, it's actually quite different in terms of the approach to it. Television generally is a, a faster medium. Um, you have much less time to produce probably not the same amount as a feature film, but three quarters of the amount as a feature film. And you're doing that uh, week in, week out for, if you're lucky, years. A feature film, let's call it a big one, um, you will have, I just finished one where I just spent five months doing the score. Um, I wouldn't even spend five months doing a whole season of Highlander. So um, it's, it's, it's quite different because the end results are the same, but the way you get there is in maybe in feature films a little more risky. Imagine that you have a business and a feature film is a business or a series is a business. And let's say your feature film costs $100 million. That feature film has to perform literally in a weekend or it kind of goes by the wayside. Mm -hmm. So the way that you're approaching not only the music but all the disciplines is kind of more intense, uh, maybe more under more scrutiny. Um, maybe more input from a lot of people, uh, maybe a little bit more crazy. <laughs> when you're stuck, when you're, when you're not stuck, but when you're sitting in a series after the first few shows and you've kind of defined what it is, though Highlander was different, then from week to week you kind of know what you're doing and everybody cruises quickly down the same line, down the same uh, lane in order to meet the deadlines. And it's really a question of, of deadline. One episode of a series, they're all very important, but one episode of a series is probably less financially crucial than a big, big motion picture. And uh, a big motion picture may have a music budget that's could range into the millions of dollars. So it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a different uh, mental, emotional, work and um and financial approach to things okay that's interesting i i I had assumed that there would be a timing difference for sure just based on kind of what i know of uh film and television production but it it's interesting that you might spend five months on a single film but less than that on an entire series or season of uh, of a show um, well, if, if you take a, maybe it's more than that. I mean, five months is a little, but it could be five to seven months. I mean, uh, in the case of a Highlander, most television series of that era, right? We're, we're, we're in a different era now, but of that mm-hmm. time, most television series would start 
sort of in August and you'd be working on it through April or May. So it's long, not it's more than five months, but um, generally you would have from May, May, June, July, August, maybe four months off and then the rest of the time you're working on it. So it's a little more than that. Okay. Um, most feature films, I mean, somebody like a John Williams or something like that, he may have three months, he may spend three months on it. Um, I've done things where I've spent, you know, uh, I did a, a Netflix movie where I had three weeks. So it's, it really depends on what it is. Or if you do a Hallmark movie, you may have two weeks. You may have four weeks. So it's, it depends on what the medium is, what it is, the production companies, how they're kind of set up. Um, but most television, and now it works. I was the only composer on Highlander. Um, when I started, most television shows had multiple composers. That kind of changed in the, in the 90s. So if you were doing the series for like pre-90s, one composer may have three weeks just to do one episode. Whereas that sort of changed and the composer then became responsible from week to week uh, to, to create and produce the music. Oh, wow. So I'm curious how you came to Highlander itself. Was it just a, you saw a, a kind of a posting somewhere about it? Or how, how did you come to Highlander, the series? Were you familiar with the property prior to working on it? Well, I was familiar with the original movie, okay. of course, because it was a big hit in Europe, especially in France. Um, <clears throat> and I, I had... Um, well, to give a little bit of the backstory, I had, I, I you know, I, my wife and I, we had a, just had, had a son, he was two years old. We, we bought a house in the Hollywood Hills. I had just moved here, not that much long before that. I moved to LA in like 83. And um, so I bought a house in the Hollywood Hills and we, and I realized one day that wait a minute, I'm married, I have a kid, I have a house, and I don't have a job. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> I, was like, I was literally freaking out and banging my head against the wall. And um, I got a call from a person named Derek Power, who is a manager. And uh, he, he was very familiar and uh, very connected with the Highlander franchise, especially the producers, which was Peter Davis and um, Bill Panzer. And I had known Derek off and on a little bit. And uh, the Highlander franchise were looking for either a French composer or a German composer for their tax credit, for their production credits. And so I, I, he said, would you like to, to, to meet? Well, Gary Goodman, the, Goodman Rosen were the line producers. Panzer Davis were the executive producers and they owned the property. So I said, of course, and uh, I went down and had a meeting with Bill Panzer and Gary Goodman, and it went great, and that was it. I, you know, I had one meeting and I got the job, and uh, and it turned out to be really fun. Everybody was great on it, and Derek became my manager, and um, um, that's 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 really how it happened. It was kind of simple. Well, that's fantastic. That's a great way to get a job. I wish I could get, uh, I wish my jobs had been one interview. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, you, I mean, generally it's, it's not that way. Generally you, you have to, well, at that time it was less prevalent where you would make up demo tapes and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, because you have to remember, this was 92, mm-hmm. and technology was around, but it, it, it wasn't as super prevalent as it, as it is now. So it was the era where things were changing from everything being always being recorded in the studio to things always being recorded in your house. That was sort of the era where things were really ebbing and flowing. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I probably because I fit the tax bill, that was fine. <laughs> you know, I hey. never asked anybody, why did you hire me? Um, <laughs> right. So when you're working on a show like this, um, how much are, are you around, are, are you around at all during the, the shooting or are you kind of off on your own and they, they send you information or they send you like, here's what we're looking for and you just kind of do that in a vacuum? I mean... Well, generally on a, on a normal series, and Highlander was not a normal series, and I'll explain why, but generally on a, a series with a, a Hollywood production company or sort of a normal production company, um, you have meetings to sort of define what they are looking for, the sound and all that kind of stuff. And they will have kind of music supervisors connected with it and you have a bit of a, I would call it a bureaucratic process where you're, you're kind of submitting stuff, it's being approved, or you'll, you'll write something, it's being approved. You're just like the, just like the script writers or the makeup people or the, whatever it is, you're kind of in this um, 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 more of a, 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 an administrative march together where everybody's sort of looking at what you're doing to make sure that it's the sound that the creator of the show wants and they're moving forward with it. Mm-hmm. And once you kind of establish that sound and that trust after a few shows, then it's probably a little bit less invasive. With Highlander, it was completely different. Um, and it kind of spoiled me because um, Highlander was produced in Vancouver half the year and produced in France half the year. I'm in Los Angeles. David Abramowitz, the the head writer and the showrunner, was in Los Angeles. Um, the editorial was in Vancouver, and when even when they shot in France, the editorial was in Vancouver. And in the beginning, the production companies were there was there was an Italian group, there was a German group. Uh, the Germans actually put in the money in the, to get it going in the first show, but the caveat was having, um, what's his name? Um, the guy from the, uh, uh, Lambert, Christoph mm-hmm. Lambert in the first one. And so it was a little bit being done kind of everywhere. Um, and people were just sort of trusted. So when I got... And I'm in Los Angeles. When I got the first show, they just they basically just send you a finished tape, right? That was it. Okay. In my case, there was no discussion. We discussed at that very first meeting the style they wanted, and they wanted to follow the style of Michael Kamen's score from the first Highlander, which was uh, orchestral and rock and roll at the same time kind of mixed together. Mm-hmm. So that was the beginning of how we started. So I said, fine. And I got the first show, which was actually not the first show, it was the third show. Um, so the first show I scored was actually the third show. And um, I was by myself and I basically uh, spotted it by myself. And spotting, the word spotting means you decide 
where the music goes in the show, how much or how long or how, where does it start, where does it end in, in individual scenes and what style it is. And I'm getting back to on normal shows, when you do a spotting session, it's collective. You have the, the picture editor there, you have the music editor there, you have the producer there, you may have a director there, and everybody together is spotting the movie. And it's sometimes you may have the sound effects editor there and they may be spotting that at the same time, meaning you're collectively deciding the music will go in this scene, it'll start here, it'll end here, and it'll be X style of music. And you'll have an, a music editor that writes everything down, prints it up for you, so and gives everything to everybody, so everybody's on the same page. Well, in Highlander, there was no music editor. <laughs> there was no spotting. I did it everything. I did it all by myself. So it was very uh, free from that point standpoint, but I was just kind of going by myself. So I would spot the show. I would have I would I would get a tape on a Tuesday. I would look at the tape and do my own spotting. And then I would compose the music for the show. And then it had to be sent back up to Canada by Federal Express the following Monday. So not even seven days, six days later. So that six days included the time of spotting, which took pretty much hours, right? It takes a long time to decide where and what type of music it is and for what reason. And, and I did it by myself, right? Nobody called me to to put any input in at all. So I did it by myself, the spotting. Then I had composed the music. And there was a, in Highlander, there was a lot of music. Mm -hmm. The show was an hour, but in reality, it was sort of like 42 minutes, depending if you're in Europe, it could be, or here, it could be 42 or 48 minutes. And because they had two versions, they had an American version and they had a European version. And I would always have sort of 38 minutes of music to do. And that's a boatload, a, a, you know, an average feature film won't have too much more than that. So I literally had five days of product of, of composing and producing because each Highlander show had musicians on it. Right. So um, yeah. I would I would and at that time, you know, I'd write it and then I would go into the studio, which I use a particular studio in in the valley called the bakery. And I did, I think, every single show there. Um, and I had one day of any music musicians to be put on it. And then I had one day of mixing it or I'd, I had half a day with musicians, a day of mixing. And that day of mixing had to end at five because invariably the FedEx guy would walk in <laughs> at five o'clock and the music had to be done. And it was sent up to Canada. And then, then uh, on that Monday evening, they got it on Tuesday and it would be put into the movie and they'd start mixing on Wednesday. And I got to show them on the Tuesday again and the whole thing started again. So um, I, I did that for season one or season two. And then season three came and I basically I went up there for a meeting of some sort. I don't, didn't have to, but I think we had a party and they brought me up there. We had a meeting and I was the one who asked, listen, guys, can I actually spot this with other people there may be more input because i feel like i'm putting too much music in the movie right i think that there's too much in there but i i don't know because nobody said anything everybody liked what i did if they didn't like it you would hear but nobody <laughs> called me I, I saw i saw the producers came to my recordings came to my house when i wrote it for the third show right i did the first two nobody was there the third show they came 
and I never saw any Igbeti again for six years. So, <laughs> so, um, so they said, okay, and the head editor and who handled sort of the creative post-production was a guy named Don Panessa, amazing guy, a real Renaissance guy. And so he and I would spot the show every Monday. And it was a blessing because he had such wonderful ideas about what music did, what style, you know, what we don't need it here, what kind. And um, it invariably, uh, we, we ended up trying to spot less music. That was our goal. But for some reason, it always ended up being the same amount. I don't know how that happened because we both <laughs> said there's too much in here, but it never was reduced. Maybe one of the reasons it wasn't reduced because every show would have at least two big fight scenes. When I say big, these things lasted like five minutes and they always had to be scored. Mm-hmm. They're very difficult to do. So um, <clears throat> from the third season on, um, it was a little bit more like a conventional series where I, at least I would have input. Um, uh, Bill Panzer on occasion had some interesting ideas for certain certain shows. He would want something that was a little more operatic, more, uh, you know, maybe more jazzy, more whatever for certain scenes. So he had certain ideas that we would talk about that were that were good that I would do. And then there were the song elements that were that were included. Um, as you know, Queen did well. They didn't do. They licensed um, the Queen tune for the for the for the main titles, right? For the theme mm-hmm. of it. So they had two Queen tunes they used, and there was a few tunes throughout the six years. They used a Kansas tune. They used certain tunes now and then. But I did some of the well all of the other tunes that were more scored tunes mm-hmm. and i don't know what season it was i think it was season i can't even remember because it's been a while i think it was season two that we did we know we did a show we did the, whatever the show was that adrian the star directed i can't remember what year that was but it was a show that was entirely shot in, in well in in scotland right um mm-hmm. And they wanted to use a piece, uh, an old Irish piece or Scottish piece, I can't remember which one, called Bonnie Portmore, which is kind of a known piece. Oh, yeah. Um, And so they asked me, could I do a version? So um, I did a version of that piece um, with an amazing singer. And that piece got used all the time during the show. It was, it was really great. And it got a huge amount of great feedback from, uh, from the fans and all that. Um, so I would do not a lot of songs. I maybe, maybe for the six years I did 10 songs or something like that. And they were not necessarily pop songs. They could have, they could have been an old English drinking song. They could be a version of a 1940s uh, you know, sort of crooner piece. They could be anything. Um, so it was kind of interesting. Uh, the the most fun about Highlander over the six years is I was truly, truly free to do whatever I wanted. And I really never had any sort of anybody telling me, do this, do that. Uh, we don't like this. We like this. So it was, it almost spoiled me because once the show ended and I started doing other um, projects, it'd be, it was much more restrictive, like a film should be. And I don't mean restrictive in a negative way, but it was mm-hmm. more collaborative. My show, and it wasn't just necessarily me, most of the people that worked on it 
because of the nature of how the show was set up, were independent. We all just were adults and we all did our own thing and it just seemed to work great. So um, it was fun. You know, it was really fun. Let me ask you this, Roger. When you first started on Highlander and you're given all this freedom, did it freak you out at all to be like, oh, I can just do whatever I want and kind of go for it? Like, what what was that like? Well, no, because we during that initial meeting where I got hired, there was kind of a there was like a directive laid out, right? Okay. It wasn't strict. It was orchestral rock, so I knew exactly what I had to do. And if you watch the shows the scenes that needed to be more orchestral were kind of obvious. The scenes that needed to be a little bit more rock were obvious. Um, you know, the, 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 the parts that were left really like, what do I do here is for the, for the quickenings and all those kind of strange things is what do I kind of do? So I just kind of did what I thought and, and I guess everybody liked it cause nobody had any questions <laughs> with it. Um, so no, it wasn't really, it was no, I just I didn't even think it, I, I just did it. You know, I think most composers would do it. You just sit down and do it. Um, however, under a normal circumstance, you you would be doing little demos to make sure you were on the right path before actually scoring it. That that didn't happen to me. I just did it. And it was and I didn't even have time to do demos because the production schedule for six years was very tight. You know, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, do you have a do you have a favorite kind of uh, episode or or period of the show um, for you as as either uh, did you watch the show much or were you kind of too busy working on it to to really be able to to do that? Um, I would watch the final mixes and you know I watched every episode so I, I you know it's been a while so I can't exactly remember every show. Sure. But I haven't really sat down and just watched it this far out. I've seen it because when it streams on Hulu or wherever, I'll, I'll, if I catch it, I'll watch it, right? I'll watch something. Um, but there was a lot of, every show is different. And that was, that was the director from Bill Panzer with made the show interesting, fun, and very hard. Because apart from the main title that they licensed from Queen, Bill did not want any reoccurring themes to happen in any of the shows, nor did he want any music to repeat. He wanted every single episode to be its own mini feature film, which oh, means wow. every, every episode you had to create new themes. I never repeated a theme from show to show. There wasn't anything used from show to show. There wasn't any of that. So in a normal s series, you do have that. You will have mm -hmm. reoccurring that can be laid in here there so you may be able to go a bit quicker but in Highlander it was every show had to be completely built from the ground up every time and you know one week I'd have a show that was and you know the show was half of the show was a sort of a detective show in present time and the other half of the show was the more um, I guess sci-fi part in the past right Mm -hmm. Every every show had a past, and every show's past was in a different place. So every show's past in a different place had that sound, whereas the present time was always sort of poppy, rocky, orchestrally. That was sort of, even though it didn't repeat, that style in the present was kind of predetermined. Then you would flip to the past, and it may be in Japan one time. So that whole past part had to be authentic Japanese-sounding music. 
or it may be a tango show. So that all and the tango. I'll, I'll tell you about the tango show. That was crazy. <laughs> or it may be in France, or it may be a cowboy show, or it may be a blues show, or it may be a baseball. You know, but so every one of those past ones had their own unique composition and sound for that time period. So it was a lot of fun. It was great, um, but it was. It was it was hard because the the I would literally spend at least 18 hours a day working. I mean, a problem sometimes there are times where I probably didn't sleep for two or three days on end. You just sit there and to be able to complete the amount of music that there was. If there was sort of a in a normal circumstance, if I just had a couple of themes to use, I could have gotten through it quicker. But since every show is its own movie. I really approached it purely from these shows are their own movie and I didn't repeat anything from anywhere. Um, and so it was, it was tough. And, uh, you know, when you had the past and they were all a style, <clears throat> you had to orchestrate it. Then you had to find sort of the musicians and the style to play for it. If it was Japanese, I would need to find sort of, whatever it was a woodwind play or or something if it was if it was a tango movie then i would need sort of specialized tango guitar and percussionist so on top of writing it you'd have to then find the people and i did everything i didn't have a music department where if i was working on a normal show and i needed a special tango guitar player i would just call up the music department and say hey i need a guitar player for tango can you find me one and they would they would try and do that for you so it was a big learning experience on many levels. And it was, um, it was something where, you know, most composers that do big series that are on big deadlines like Highlander or other series, that's where you really form your film writing chops. That's where, you know, because you have to write. You could, I mean, I could have had a pneumonia. It wouldn't matter. The deadline was there and they were in Canada and there was nobody to replace me. So no matter what conditions I found myself under, I still had to do the music. So when we had the giant earthquake here in 94, um, I, you know, that was on a Monday, that earthquake. Or oh, was, wow. it, was, that, it was on a Sunday, I believe. And I still had to call up the guy that where the studio was, and I still had to go, guys, I'm sorry, but we have to mix this. I don't care that there was an earthquake because the people <laughs> in Canada didn't care. They didn't have an earthquake. They didn't care. Right. So um, the, and the, the show, the, the studio I used was near the epicenter. Right. So, oh, wow. so, so they opened the show, the studio up. I went down. I mixed the show, we're sitting there and the aftershocks came and we're at the big mixing council, which is all steel. And you would see the mixing council literally undulating under us. Oof. And we're just, you know, we got the show done, the FedEx gate guy came and that was done. But that was, I mean, I remember that was like, I had to literally coerce people to come to the studio <laughs> after the, the day after the worst, you know, earthquake in LA in, in I don't know how long. So I could, again, I could have a, you know, I could be sick. I could, luckily I really was, I may have had a cold once in a while, but no, no matter what the conditions were, I really, I had to get the music up there because they mixed it the next day or the day after. So if the music wasn't there, they would have thrown off the whole mixing schedule. And on TV, 
you only have a day or a day and a half to mix the show. You don't, it's not like a feature film where you can be in there for weeks, right? So mm -hmm. everything is a production line and every element has to move forward in the production. If one of them stops, then everything just stops. Yeah, and I'd have to imagine at that time it would be even more so that because again, you're you don't have the technology of today to be like, sure, I can re-record that and send it back up, or it's going to be a couple of hours later, but it'll you know it'll only take seconds to get there, as opposed to you have to you're at the whim of the FedEx driver, like you said yeah, earlier, coming in at five o'clock. Yeah, I mean that was it, and there was no there was no sort of Wi-Fi connection. Like now, I can just oh well, don't worry about it. I'll just upload all the music. That mm -hmm. that didn't happen then. You know, there was some of that, but it was super slow, right? So mm -hmm. you couldn't depend on that. I mean, 92, 94, that was the beginning of all this stuff. Um, I had an assistant back then, uh, not for music, not for writing, but just in my in my studio. And he, you know, he created my first website. Um, and, uh, you know, the way you communicated with people back then on, over the Internet was through news groups. I don't know if you ever remember that, but, oh, yeah. you know, everybody was in a news group and Highlander had a couple of news groups and sci-fi had news groups and TV had news groups. So if you wanted to post something, you'd post it in a news group. That that's, you know, that's how this, the whole thing started. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I, do you think that working on a show with the, the um, exposure level that Highlander had, cause it, it became a pretty good cult classic. Um, do, do you think that helped open up some doors for you um, in terms of Highlander other things? No, Highlander was strange. It didn't actually open up any doors for anybody that worked on it. Oddly but, enough. Maybe but, some of the directors that I don't know, but, you know, like the writers, the, the, the editors, all of that, me, whereas if, you know, composers I know that worked on similar type series, not similar, but at that period were big, led to many things. Highlander didn't lead to anything. It's really odd. That is odd. Not, not only for yeah. me, but for like everybody. Yeah. Um, so I'm... I don't, I can't even answer that. And we've talked about that a lot. Like uh, the editors and Dave and we all, we've always said, why is it that we worked on this giant series and it's still big all over the world and it never actually led to anything. Nobody called up and said, oh, you did Highlander. We want you to do this. That's amazing given, you know, you would think a show that did, I mean, 119 episodes, that's not, uh, an, that is a, a significant number of episodes. You, you said it was, what, six years? Yeah, six years, and they did very well. But the let's say, you know, there was a similar uh, show on that came after us. I think it was the Xena, the Xena, the Xena one. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I know the, the, the composer of that show was very good. That show led to a bunch of stuff for that person. So mm. I couldn't tell you why. I don't really have a, I don't have a reason at all, you know. So I don't know. And even my manager, I'd say, let's get other things going. And I don't know why. I don't know why Highlander didn't. Maybe it's because it wasn't done in a very conventional way, which it wasn't. All these other shows were done in a, in a more studio conventional way. Whereas if you're in a, sort of a studio setting and you're doing something and it's successful, the people within that studio kind of know about it. Highlander was its own entity. They, they, we were completely independent of any of that stuff. We did all our own stuff. We created everything. 
there was no Uber studio above us. There was Gaumont in Paris, but they were, I think they, that was more of a, cop, a property rights issue. There was no, there was no person, there was no entity, there was no, I'll give you a very good example. The, you know, when you're doing music, um, the composer will get you know, royalties based on the airings of them. Mm-hmm. And the only way that the composer will get royalties is if is when a what's called a cue sheet is submitted to a performing rights society. So a cue sheet is simply a sheet of paper that lists all the pieces of music that were performed in the episode, uh, the, the name of the composers, the name of the publishers, and the duration of each piece. So that piece of music tells performing rights society, and every country in the world has them, they track a composer's royalties, right? So they track the TVs and wherever they're aired. So unless I gave, unless that's created and, I, and that was given in to whichever performance society I belong to, there would never be, there, there would never, royalties wouldn't flow because there would be no documentation pointing it out. So a normal studio has a whole department for that. You don't have to do anything. The music editor does it, the department takes it, it's sent out to the world. Highlander didn't have that. And I had to not only write all the shows, but I had to be the music editor where I had to fill out all of that information, which is quite time consuming. Um, and then I realized that since there was no time, there was no music department, that these particular pieces of paper were not being circulated to the world. So I'm going, oh, oh what? I said, oh, so I, I called up, I don't know who it was, maybe. I called up somebody in Paris and I said, you know, who who owns the music? Who's this? Because there was a name on there of the publisher, the owner of the music. It, in music, you, you know, if I'm the creator, I don't necessarily own the music. I own, I, I create the music and the person paying owns the music. Mm-hmm. But each of those entities will split a royalty 50-50. So I found out that they had some type of a sub-publishing deal, which is just a company helping you with, I think it was Polygram. And I went to Polygram and, and they were in Beverly Hills. And I said, I'm doing this show and there's no, there's no company. There's no, there's no music department and you're the sub-publishing. So what do I, how can you help me? So there is very good. They gave me a, their passport book, which listed every single one of their offices throughout the world. Um, so I was able to then take those pieces of paper when they were done and send them to every one of those offices around the world to, so that will be registered around the world. Uh, so that's another, another offshoot of the series, which I had to deal with. So I became kind of a mini expert in how these royalties float around the world because I had to for my own survival. So, right. so, so it was a lot of work. So I was, I was I not only was the composer and the producer and the performer, but I was also the music department in all aspects of it. So it was a lot to do. And it was probably a little unfair in the sense that, I, but I don't think anybody knew any different. I don't think because we weren't a normal studio, I don't think anybody else working on the show understood any of that. So unless I did it, it wouldn't have gotten done. Wow. Which leads to the soundtrack issue. Um, because I, 
after the second season, I said, look, guys, this is really popular. It's airing all over the world. It airs in America. Let's release the soundtrack of the music. And I said, there's news groups, it seems, that people are interested in. And, um, and this is a producer's named Davis Panzer. They were sort of the copyright holders. And they were the, I guess you would call them the studio, even though they really weren't a studio in the, in the traditional sense. And they said, no, we don't want to pay for that. Okay, so I went back again. I asked, you know, a month later, I said, look, it, you know, I've been reading a lot and, I, you know, I asked questions in news groups and it looks like there may be some, <clears throat> some interest in the soundtrack. I, they said, no, we don't want to pay for it. So I said, okay, well, what if I pay for it? I'll pay for it. I'll do everything. And I'll just account a royalty back to you, like a percentage of the sales. And they said, oh, great. So <laughs> on top of all the rest of this stuff, I took it upon myself to become the record company. So I created the, the first one. And back then it was, you couldn't really just do it at home. It had to be compiled. And then I found a pressing plant in Maine where I sent the masters to, and they pressed the thing and they sent it back. And um, I advertised in the news groups and people would, and there was no visa over the internet back then. So right. people would send checks, literally checks from all over the world. And I'm talking about, you know, <laughs> Russia, South America, Canada, wow. wherever. And I had, you know, these CDs in the garage and I had my assistant, Chad, and he would, you know, put the CD in an envelope, put a stamp on it and send it out. The interesting thing was, <clears throat> in all of the sales of these CDs over the years, until, until the credit card thing got going, which was a few years later, not one check bounced from anywhere in the world. It was amazing. Nice. <laughs> and we're talking about every possible place in the world got this show and everybody looked at the news group. So we're talking, you know, South Africa, Iceland, everywhere. And, um, and that was a, that was a, an experience. And I did a second soundtrack and there was eventually four done. And at one point I kind of had to either, either become a record company or a composer. It was getting a bit overwhelming so at, after a couple of few years, I sort of put a little less energy into that because it became um, it became sort of uh, its own little monster. And um, and it was great. It was, you know, it was it was something that a normal series would not have under again, under the guys. If you did a series for us like a Warner Brothers and they wanted to do a soundtrack, it would be much more of an official thing. Um, you know, you'd have a specific kind of composer deal where you would get a little percentage and they'd put it out on a label um, and they put it in the stores. But mine was strictly, you know, news groups and, you know, direct sales. And it was just people who really wanted it. So I learned many different trades apart from the composing on this show, which was which is a, which was wonderful because I would not have the opportunity to do that on literally any other thing. That's incredible. That is. <clears throat> I'm just I'm just trying to picture like you've got a just a garage full of CDs and you're getting in a check and you're like, all right, the check. Yep, there we go. Send it out. That's yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's exactly it. There may be like, <laughs> oh, we've got five today. Put five stamps on and send it out. Um, oh, man, when I the series. That. When the series ended, um, like in 98, I think it was, so it stopped and 
I had I was not only in Highlander, but I had a couple of other shows I was doing at the same time. So I was really did a lot for many years. And, it, and it, you know, it gets kind of it gets a bit tiring when you wake up in the morning, you sit in a chair for 18 hours and you write music, then you go to bed and that's all you do for years on end. Right. It's it, you know, you get a little bit burnt out on it. Oh, sure. So I decided to take a little time off and I wanted to write something differently. So uh, with a friend of mine who who writes um, musicals and stuff, we wanted to do something that was kind of a musical based thing. And we looked around for ideas. Um, and then I said, well, why don't we try and do a, a kind of a musical based on Highlander? Because we already have a fan base. The show's going. Um, so I went to Peter Davis, who was you know, the, the rights holders. And I said, look at can we do, it wasn't a musical, we decided to do an opera, but it really wasn't a traditional opera. It was a little bit more on the pop side. Can we do an opera based on Highlander? Um, and he said, sure. And we defined what the rights were and what the characters I could use or couldn't use. And uh, so with my partner, Harlan, we pre-sold, we literally pre-sold the opera to really thousands of people in order to get the money to actually record the opera. And um, so that went really well. Um, so that was another offshoot of that. And there was another company, I forgot their names. Um, they were more of a traditional soundtrack company and they wanted to do a best of Highlander, um, which we did. Um, that, that really, well, what I, I, I gave them the pieces and suggested what to do, but they, they did that themselves. So in all, there have been four soundtracks for Highlander and they've all done really quite quite well, um, and um, continue to do well, and a lot of fun. You know, in this world, composers have to work under enormous pressure, right? That's what it's about, and you have to have a lot of mental fortitude. In a show like that, you either you either you either do it or you or you fall apart because it was literally for six years an enormous amount of pressure all the time to get it done. Um, and that's what kind of allows you to move forward uh, with other things in um, in a more confident way. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. Yeah. I just think that composers that have the opportunity to do one or more big series that last a long time um, really understand what you have to understand what really what film music is all about. What you I mean? I think I wrote. 75 or 80 hours of music that's a lot of music um and it's it's you, you know you got to step up and do it or else you get replaced you know if you can't mm -hmm. if you you can't miss a deadline or you could probably miss one but you really can't miss a deadline you really can't be off the mark so you know and it's all subjective shit right it's it's there's it's not black and white it's subjective they send me x i send them y and yeah. And, the, and, and, you know, people watching it's, you know, six people watch it. Everybody has a different opinion. So the very fact that it got done and kept going and everybody worked on it was pretty cool. Absolutely. And Plus, I think it's obviously a testament of your talent that you lasted that long and nobody came back to anything. I mean, like Travis said, we talk about the music and basically praise it every time we hear it and talk about it on this, on our show. So, um, we've really enjoyed it watching the series now. So, uh, yeah, you did a great job. 
Thank you so much. I'm I'm glad that you're doing this and I'm glad that you like the music and the show. And it's a testament to the show that it just keeps on going and it still airs basically everywhere. So, Mm -hmm. and I think one of the strong points is they never really advertised it after the, after like, you know, the, like other shows like X-Files or whatever were great shows would always be, you'd always hear about them in the marketplace it always being advertised, but Highlander sort of was a bit undergroundish. Um, and I think it's just because they were too cheap to advertise it all the time. Um, but the very fact that they didn't kind of made it a little more, uh, you know, underground. Sure. I'm thinking, you know, so awesome. I want to, I, I want to say thank you for, for taking the time to talk with us tonight. Uh, this has been really interesting and, um, and, I learned a few things that I didn't know. I, it sounds like you have very fond memories of Highlander overall, which is great to hear when it's something that you've worked on for the amount of time that you did. And for as long ago as it was, for you to still remember all of this is also quite, uh, quite amazing. And, and I just, again, want to say thank you. This was, this was a really fun time for, uh, for both Audie and I as fans. Um, of the show and the music being a big part of that. We talk about the music quite a bit on our podcast. So this has been really cool for us. Thank you very much, Roger. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>